Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest, both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. It's great to see you this morning. Welcome. It's a beautiful day out, and uh, we're going to start today a new series called The Christian Disconnect. Now, uh, many of you who know me know that I grew up uh, in small farming communities in Minnesota. The largest town I lived in before going to college was 650 people. Woo! It was a big town. And uh, so the only job around there was uh, going out working on the farms. And uh, while I was a hard worker and a, an intelligent worker, uh, well-motivated, I was not necessarily the uh, most mechanically inclined person in the world. So I, w- I grew up working on farms, and, and by the time I was 17, I could drive about anything on the farm, but my bosses used to laugh at me when it came to anything, anything mechanical. Like the first time I ever drove a hydrostatic-operated thing, I pushed one way, and I should have pushed the other way, and I ran right into the moving hay rack right next to me and tore it all up. And thankfully, my boss had a good sense of humor and just laughed about it and put new boards on it and had me help him, but, but I was not the most mechanically inclined. So uh, one of the more challenging things for me then growing up was the fact that at least, I don't know if it's still the same today, but uh, tractors back when I was growing up weren't quite as easy as like, you know, rent, renting cars. You rent any kind of model of car, you pretty much know how to start it and drive off in a matter of seconds, right? But no, the tractors, the farmers I worked for, they all had different brands and different models, and some were 30 years old and some were new, and, and it was just like, so, I mean, like one to start it up, you just, you, you just pushed one key, and another one to start it up, you had to turn a key, and then you had to pull a lever, and then you had to push something else, and it was crazy, and then to get it in gear, some of them just had one gear shift, and one of the tractors I had actually had three things you had to move to get it in gear. So my boss sends me to get the tractor one day, 300 yards away, and says, bring the tractor back. And I go there, and I just sat there forever. I couldn't figure out how to turn the thing on. Then I finally figured out how to turn it on, and I couldn't figure out how to get it in a gear faster than about a half mile an hour. So I'm putzing over there, and my boss is just laughing his head off at me, and I'm turning red. And, you know... I'm going to make an analogy now between that and faith, and I don't want that analogy to make the faith analogy feel overly simplistic because it really could. But the reality is a lot of us live our faith in a way where it just feels like something's missing and it's not going at the pace we want it to. We just can't quite get it going. Have you ever had those times in life? Maybe it was faith. Maybe it was, maybe it was like me with mechanical things where you just couldn't figure out how to get something going. And somebody came up to you and said, well, if you just turn the switch on, if you just you know, push this lever, you'll actually go faster than a crawling baby, you know, and life will go good. And, and sometimes in our faith, even though that's oversimplistic, we easily go through faith living disconnected from the power of God. And we, uh, we, or, or we're stuck in a low gear and we just feel frustrated that it's not more, our faith is not more compelling. We're not seeing more movement, more change, more progress. All the time we know and we hear God say and we know ourselves that God wants so much more from us. The Christian Disconnect, this series, is about one primary question. Do you, do I really personally know God? 
How well do you know him? How well are you staying personally connected to him in a way that brings power and movement and transformation to your life and through your life to other people's lives? How much power is there in our faith? You see, we often fall short of that. And and even if we've experienced that power and presence of God in the past, a lot of times we become disconnected to it and life becomes little less compelling. And it's a problem that all of us face. It's a problem that I face. It's a problem you face. It's a problem longtime followers, new followers, and seekers all face this problem of living life disconnected from our faith. And if we pause for a minute, and if we're really honest, for, honest with ourselves and the way we live, we would probably say about ourselves that we're believing in God, but living like God doesn't exist on a day-to-day basis. Craig Groeschel wrote a book called The Christian Atheist. And uh, in it, uh, it challenged me. It gave me some really creative ideas that I think we're going to use for parts of this series. But he defines the Christian atheist as someone who believes in God, but lives as if God does not exist exist. Do you believe in God, but don't act like you do? Maybe in certain areas, maybe not in all areas of your life, maybe just in some areas of your life. Are you experiencing God's life and his power in every area of your life? And are you responding to him in every area of your life? Do you really know God personally is the question. And in his introduction to the book, uh, Groeschel writes about how the fact that he was doing ministry, leading a, leading a church for 10 years before he realized that, that on a daily basis, he was living like God didn't exist. I mean, I mean, sure, he was talking about the Bible, he was studying, he was telling people about Jesus, but he was telling people all about God, and yet he was living with very little expectation that God would be present in this moment in this issue of his life, not very well connected to God in the now. And he was relying on himself more and more and less and less on who God was. So sin is not just doing bad things. Sin is actually putting anything in a higher place than God, even if it's a self-reliance in a higher place than our reliance on God. It can be self-reliance on stuff that's very, very good and having success. And I can remember times even in my own life of leading uh, in Christian ministry of struggling, even in times of having really good success, feeling like it was all up to me. Or living life with the stress like it was all up to me. As far as expecting God to be there in the day to day, I never denied that he could be there and always wanted him to be there. But the reality is I didn't necessarily always live with the thought and expectation that he was there and would be there. You see, there was a disconnect. And God can so easily seem distant to us. We can so easily live lives like a deist rather than a Christian. If you understand, if you remember from your social, from your history or philosophy, a deist is a person who believes that God created the world like a clock, set it in motion, and then left. And it's all up to us and natural law for everything that goes on. And maybe, maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you've gotten to this point in life where he, things are going pretty good. Family life is good. Work is good. You feel pretty good. You're not doing any major things wrong. You feel like life is largely in control. And, and you can just slip into this thing of just doing the same thing over and over again because life is fine. Living your faith 
but your faith becomes a little less and less personal, a little bit more disconnected, and there becomes a greater sense of a disconnect from God and a greater sense gradually over time of a disconnect from peace or, or love or contentment or meaning and purpose. Life is about doing the right things, but there just doesn't seem to be a lot of power to it. And that's not Christianity. That's not what Jesus taught or lived. It's not what the disciples taught or lived. And frankly, it's not what you and I want from faith, is it? We want something that is compelling, something that is personal, something that changes life for the good. And I see this disconnect happening all over in people's faith and in the life of the church in America. I spent years consulting with churches and I saw so many pastors and so many churches living life and living faith like they believed in God, but God was not there in the moment. And if it can happen to pastors and churches who are supposed to be leading this, it can happen, I suspect, to all of us to live life disconnected from the reality of our faith. And today... As we begin this series, we're going to spend most of our time uh, talking about how we assess where we're at in that. You know, what areas of our life are we struggling with a disconnect from God? And, and we, we understand, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later in the message, how we all know that there's different ways of knowing someone. There's different levels of how well we know someone, and how does that apply to our relationship with God? And then we're going to spend time in the subsequent weeks uh, looking at some very practical ways and, and encouraging ways that we can learn to assess in certain areas where we normally disconnect how to reconnect or how to stay connected in a really positive way so that God's heart is experienced by us. Now, I realize that when we talk about, especially an assessment message like this, that it would be very easy for you to hear me or very easy, even if I do a good job of trying to prevent that, for you to hear this message as condemning. And there is no intent on my part, and I don't believe that's God's heart either. So I'm going to do my best to prevent that today. But if you start to experience that, I want you to have permission to reject that because that's not where we want to land. That's not where we want to be. But the reality is it is really important for us to understand where we're at in regard to this issue and this question. And then the next message, we're going to talk more about reconnecting. But So if you're not a follower of Jesus, though, the question then is why would you want to be a part of the series and and listen to someone... uh, talk about how Christians tend to disconnect and live life like God doesn't exist even though they believe in him. And the reality is the same things that tempt Christians to disconnect from their faith are the very same things that you as a person seeking out faith will run into as barriers that make it hard for you to make that connection in the first place. So this is going to be a great series for you as well in that regard. In fact, let me ask you a question if you're here and you're not convinced about your faith. You uh, aren't a convinced follower of Jesus yet. Let me ask you this question. Are there areas of your life where you're thinking, where your relationship experiences, uh, where your emotions or your moral character um, makes you feel like there is a barrier between you and who you think God should be in your life or makes you feel disconnected from what you believe God would really want if he were real, disconnected from the fullness of what life should be. And I think all of us probably can say, yeah, there's areas like that. Maybe maybe something isn't fitting together. Maybe something isn't just quite working right. It isn't working well. Something's missing from your experience of life. It doesn't connect to the power you believe God longs for you to have and should have for your life. 
And more than the answers to your questions, which I'm sure you have lots of questions, more than the answers to your questions, you as a person still trying to decide about Jesus are looking for a power to live life more meaningfully and more healthy and well. And whether you are a Christian then or whether you are a seeker, whether you are a skeptic, it's right for us to approach our faith with that question in mind. Where's the power? Where's the power to live life? What's compelling? What's personal? What's powerful about God that we should even follow him? But the way we often approach religion and faith can very easily, easily not achieve that kind of power to live life better. Even the Apostle Paul talks about it. He talks about it in this way in 2 Timothy 3. He says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money and boastful. And we go, yeah, sure, we see that. Proud, abusive, disobedient their parents, uh, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving. And we see all that, right? And our relationships are people around us, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good at all, but treacherous, rash, conceited. And we see that in the news. We see that going on. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. But, but wait a second. Paul's not talking here just to the really bad sinners. He's actually talking to those who are pursuing faith and righteousness because he goes on and says this, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Having a form of godliness but but denying its power. Do you ever feel like faith or the pursuit of faith is like trying to live within forms? within guidelines, within rules. But you wonder where the power is to really bring change to your heart or the heart of another person. I mean, even the studies that are asked where where studies are given out and people have to self-select, what do you describe yourself as in your regard to faith? The, The ones who select Christian, there's so many of them living disconnected from their faith and judging Christianity based upon the forms of godliness that are lacking power. Living life, believing in God, but acting like he doesn't exist. I mean, the studies will say that the people who self-select on those, on those that 70% of them in America will say they're a Christian. But the majority of the people who say that can't even identify the very core foundational beliefs of Christianity even remotely accurately. And it makes it really difficult because what they've done is they've accepted cultural stereotypes about what Christianity is. And it makes it difficult to have a conversation because there's so much misinformation that they believe as foundationally true. It makes conversation really difficult. And many people who say self-select being a Christian struggle with the very core habits of what followers of Jesus would be known for. If we read the Bible, they don't pray or we don't feel confident praying, right? And we struggle with that. Or, or, we're not, or, or the majority don't open their Bible even on a weekly basis and even read the Bible. And there's, and there's a disconnect reason for that. There's reasons emotionally or whatever that go on us that make us not want to do that, that make us struggle with those things that we need to understand and we need to deal with. And, and there's even a disconnect going on in terms of intentionality of growth and participation in the and in, 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 in intentional growth in the mission of the church. I mean, 40% of the response Respondents in America say they go to church on a weekly basis, but when they actually do studies for the halo effect, they, t- they, they come out to, the, to saying that only 20% actually do go to 
church on a weekly basis. In fact, 25% of people attend church three out of eight Sundays. Well, why is that? There's a disconnect going on, right? It's, it's something we, we don't bash. It's something we just need to recognize. There's a disconnect going on between faith and daily living and how we experience the power, the compelling power, and understanding who Jesus is and how to follow him in a meaningful way. I mean, when I talk to people who have disconnected from church or disconnected from faith, the reasons almost always point to one of these things disconnects happening. Sometimes the the reasons for walking away from church or faith are simply that they saw through the other Christians they were hanging out and realized that these people all believed in God but were living like he didn't exist and they didn't see any power there, so they walked away, right? I mean, that's part of the reason people walk away. Or, Or sometimes it's just their own personal inability to actually look through the powerless forms of religion and understand the difference between religion and what it means to have a personal relationship with a loving God who wants to be known and wants to know them. Or it could be just simply that they have such a a grid from all the misinformation that they can't even understand the core beliefs of Christianity because they've got this grid that just can't, that's rose-colored glasses, they can't see it any other way. See, disconnecting is all too easy for all of us to do in our faith. So this series is about identifying ways that we do disconnect or we're tempted to disconnect and, and then discussing practical ways that we can connect or we can reconnect or, or we can connect for the first time to Jesus in a way that is beautiful and we experience the power of God to really bring change in our lives and through our lives to other people. So the rest of today's message, we're going to just look at that. How can we believe in God but not know him or not act like we know him? And we're just going to try to figure out what that might look like in terms of our of where we are at in our terms of knowing God. And, and I'm, my prayer for all of us is that we can create space in our hearts today for God to put his finger and say, I want, to, I want you to know me better here. I'm inviting you here to know me better and just to respond to him that way. So about 10 years ago, I was in San Diego. And I'd uh, gotten off like a, a five-day trip. The last three days of it were, were doing a lot of training and coaching with pastors. Really, really long days. I was absolutely exhausted. Taking the last flight out of San Diego in the evening out. And, and the plane was full and I got stuck in the middle row in row 28. I mean, just where you really want to be when you're absolutely exhausted. Middle row, row 28, back of the plane. And, uh, and actually, I think it was this plane that I had one of the most weird experiences I've ever had traveling. Uh, so this is after we actually got up in the air. I'm sitting here, my head's bobbing, and I'm tired. And the lady next to me pokes me and says, oh, you're so tired. You can lay your head on my shoulders if you want. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Stranger danger! <laughs> Oh, that was one of the weirdest. Anyway, so before we got off the, before we got off the, even pulled away from the door, before the, the before the door even closed, the flight attendant got on, and she said, "Well, we're going to be temporarily delayed for five or ten minutes before we can close the door. So just sit tight." And about five or ten minutes later, up beside the the the, the plane drive, a couple uh, police cars with their lights on and an SUV, and on walks former President Jimmy Carter. And he starts at the front, and through every, all six people in every row, he patiently goes back, and he shakes everybody's hand. 
By the time he gets to row 28, his famous pasty smile, I can see it's starting to crack, but it's still there. And I got to tell you what, I have never experienced a better absolute dead fish handshake in my entire life. It was like a loose piece of meat just grabbing onto it. Now, I got to say, I got to say, it was really, really nice of him. I just was really impressed that he would take the time and the kindness to actually greet everybody on the plane. That was really tremendous. And good old Jimmy, my pal Jimmy. I knew a fair amount about him because in my growing up days when he was president, I was involved in extemporaneous speaking and I had to study him like crazy because I could get a question about him at any time and I had to be able to talk within five or ten minutes intelligently about that. So I studied him. I knew a lot about him. And now I had actually touched him. But does that mean I knew him? Did I really know him? I mean, I knew a lot about him. I mean, I always knew he had a pasty smile and now I got to see it up close. I always knew what his voice sounded like on TV, and he sounded pretty much the same in person. And while I wasn't a tremendous fan of his presidency, I always really believed in him as a person and liked him as a person. And that's a bit like our faith in God sometimes. We believe in God, but we don't know him. Now, some of you are thinking, well, believing in God, isn't that enough? I mean, doesn't the Bible have a scripture that says, just believe and you'll be saved, right? But James says this. He says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and tremble. Is it good enough for the demons just to believe? No, it's not. Believing in Jesus is simply not enough in and of itself. Today, we have a lot of people who believe in God and believe in Jesus But they're like the religious leaders that Jesus rebuked in John 5, where, let me just paraphrase, he basically said to him, you believe in God, you even study the scriptures, but you don't know me. There's something deeper. And that isn't a condemning statement for anyone. If you're in that boat, it's a diagnostic statement. It's like a doctor saying you've got cancer. The doctor isn't condemning you with cancer. They're just acknowledging where you're at and where we need to start with life and health. You see, uh, maybe you grew up attending Mass, or maybe you grew up attending Sunday school, and you even got confirmed, or maybe you uh, grew up attending a home where where your grandmother prayed and always said you're a Christian, and that's just kind of been your identity, and, and you've always just believed that, and you have been one of those people that was either disciplined enough and you stuck with church and you're here today, and uh, but, but truth be told, if you really look at it, you kind of feel really not very well connected to God. You just are connected to the idea of who he is. Or, or maybe you grew up and in that kind of a way and you felt like, man, I've been in church and all these people believe in God, but they don't act like it. it's kind of dead. And you walked away from church. And for whatever reason, you're either back here today deciding I'm going to check it out again, or maybe you're just here because you're here with a family member and you're just being polite. That's fine. But you believe in God, but you don't know him, Right? But there's also another level of knowing someone. We could believe in God. We could know him a little bit, but we don't know him well. I mean, isn't that true? We have lots of people in our life that we know and we interact with, uh, maybe even fairly regular, but we don't really know them well. I mean, I've known 
A lot of people who, if you're in church leadership, they would be household names of some of the famous people in church leadership. I've spent time with them. I've been, you know, in small groups with them. I've been in discussion with them. I've had lunch or dinner with them. I've even been to some of their homes. And some of them might even possibly remember my name if they saw me after several years and stuff. But, but, so that doesn't mean I know them. There's a small measure uh, that I get to know them maybe a little bit better than other people, but it still doesn't mean that I know them. I can't say that they affect my life on a daily basis or a weekly basis or even a monthly basis with a power to bring meaningful, interesting, good, positive change into my life. Sure, I may be more informed about them than some other people who haven't had that opportunity, but I still don't know them well enough to be transformed by them on a consistent basis. And that's the case often with our relationship with God, right? We've seen... Uh, or experience some initial experiences with God in the past, and, and we know Him some, but our lives aren't being consistently and continually transformed. Or, or, or maybe the transformation that we talk about is, is something that's largely in the past, and we're really grateful for it. We talk about it really gratefully because it's been amazing that He did this in our life, but it's, but it's still largely in our past and And we can't say that our lives are being transformed by His presence and His power now, today, in this time. In fact, we may even find ourselves at times longing for the old days, wishing church was like it was back then, or wishing things were like it back then. But but that's because our lives aren't consistently plugged in and we're disconnected in some way from God. Why? Well, maybe we're living our lives disconnected from our God in this moment of our lives. I mean, we just don't bring them here. I mean, when you talk to people about your faith, are most of your stories stories from many years ago of God, God's presence and His transforming power coming and touching you? Are, or are the stories from last week or last month or this last year? You know, when somebody asks you to tell how God showed up in your life, is the first story that comes to mind 10 years old? Or is it more current? I've been praying and asking God about this question for all of us because I believe He wants to be more real in all of our daily existence. And I'm, uh, so I've been praying for God and His power to come more to us in that way, for all of us to experience that. And I, do, I just want to invite you to pray that with me because I think it's very in line with what Scripture is, so it's a no-brainer prayer. God wants to do that. Let's all pray it together. Let's wait and see it happen. Or, or maybe it's this question. Do you find yourself spending more time debating morality and talking about theology, you know, trying to figure things out or trying to figure out the theology of the end times, then you do spend time encountering God personally or being a part of encouraging others to encounter God personally. See, theology is hugely important. It's hugely important. But it's so easy to get caught in this distant intellectual debate and keep the personal presence and power of God at a distance. Right? I mean, theology is all about relationship with God. That's what it is. And as people created in the image of God, it's also about healthy relationship with other people. But it's not static. It's not a distant idea or a debate. Theology is intended to be intensely personal and intimate. It's intended to be relational. Right? Do you ever feel like, or maybe this is the question, do you ever feel like life and faith has become a form? Maybe a good form at that. 
but still a form of godliness, just some rules, some patterns you live by, things you do, 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 do and don't do, but it's lacking in power. Now, if you're stuck in a form of godliness, then more than likely you're approaching your faith in one of two ways. And the first way is, would be this. I approach my faith to get my needs met. I'm making, I need to be made to feel alive. That's what faith should do for me. I, I need to feel joyful and peaceful, and I need all that stuff. And that's stuff God wants to bring us. But we end up approaching our faith like consumers, primarily relating to God through getting our needs met. So, God, I need healing, so please heal me. God, I need, I need provision, so either get me a better job or, or give me better finances. And when God doesn't show up in the way we want or the time we want, we get what? We, we pull back and we get distant, Right? We hold God off. We maybe get angry with him, right, when he doesn't show up in the way we want. You see, we all fall easily into a form of godliness. And maybe that form of godliness, the second way we might live out our faith is is that form of godliness is just about us justifying ourselves, doing the right things to make us feel secure. As long as we do these disciplined behaviors and don't do the wrong ones, we feel secure, we feel worthwhile, we feel loved, we feel meaningful. But when that form begins to crack and we fall outside the boundaries of that form, we instantly feel unworthy, we instantly feel unlovable, we feel like meaning is going downhill and we're like failures in life, right? But the real power of God to grow and change is about knowing and being known by God. I mean, the greatest power of change in my life is, has been those intimate encounters I've had with the person and the presence of God. And some of those encounters have been facilitated by the, the closest friends in my life who, who, who helped me connect with God. My parents, Wendy, uh, I could name off Ted and Craig and Mike and Dave and, a, and several other names. They're all the people I know and I'm so comfortable with that they know my bedhead side of me. I mean, they just know me really well. And knowing God in that way is to know God, to believe in God, and know him intimately. And the question is, where are you in your life? Where do you fall as far as knowing God in your life? I just want to encourage you to start wherever you are, to re-engage in seeking, because Jesus says, seek, and you will find. Paul says, if we persevere, it will lead us to hope and lead us to life. But you might ask, well, what does it mean to be intimate with God, to know God intimately? Well, no matter where you are, how long you've been a Christian or not even a Christian yet, if you're asking that question, then I'm going uh, to hint there's an invitation for more coming your way from God. Because if we find ourselves not knowing how to do that, then, then we're not experiencing it. See, following God intimately is this beautiful thing, but like a lot of life, it's not easy to explain. It's kind of like trying to explain why you love your spouse so much or your closest friend so much. You might say things like, well, they're intelligent. They're funny. They get me. They love me. They accept me wherever I was. But those are just, those are just surface things, aren't they? Those are just words. It doesn't really do justice to what creates that intimacy in a relationship, does it? Because the reason you're intimate with your spouse or a close friend or family member stems from an entire history of experiences that we've all shared together. I sent a card to Wendy a few years ago, and she conveniently hung it 
in a place that I get to read it all the time. And I'm really grateful that she did, actually. Although this last week when I was thinking about this, I went, oh, man, I, I don't know when I gave that to her. And anxiety started to rise until she told me she didn't remember when I gave it to her either. So whew, we're good. We're good. So, um, but when I read this, and I see it on a daily basis. When I read this, there are so many times when I go, yes, that's my love for her. Yes, that's our love together. And the card simply reads this. It says, I love you more than ever for all the reasons that made me fall in love with you in the first place and all the other lovable qualities that you've shown me since then. I love you more than words can say because there are no words to describe all the wonderful feelings I've known because of you. Now, some of you are going, oh, that's so sweet and sappy. But those are just words, right? Those are just words. But when I read that, when I read that, emotions and moments and memories and stories flood back to me. Beautiful, amazing, fun moments and stories and difficult and painful and healed and restored and forgiven moments of 20 Nine years all flow back into my mind. Memories that spark passion in me, probably not unlike the passion David speaks about towards God in Psalm 63 when he says this, You, God, are my God. I earnestly seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and I beheld your power and glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you and I will praise you as long as I live. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, you are my God. Very personal. I know you. You are my God. And I am not the same. My whole bent in life because of my experiences with you is to love you and to glorify you. I have no other passion as central in my life. And I can't help but speak well of you and praise who you are. And similarly to his sense of knowing God, this my God, in Psalm 9, David says this. He says, those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. And the question is, how well do you know God? And what you call him will oftentimes probably reveal the depth of your intimacy with him and how well you know him. David says, those who know your name, what do you call God? I mean, there's importance, right, in the name. We know that there's importance about how well somebody knows us by the name. I mean, if someone calls on the phone and says, Mr. Alderman, I know that they're a salesman. They don't know me at all because they don't know my name and they're using the most common form of of a different variation that's close to my name. If somebody calls me Edelman, then I know that they know my son who gave up trying to say the name right and just said it the way it sounds easiest, or they heard me in a conversation trying to get somebody to spell it right when I didn't want to say stand there for 20 minutes and try to get them to spell it right. But if somebody calls me Edelman, then I know they know my last name. And I'd probably know they know me a little bit better. And if somebody calls me pastor, I know they know what I do. And maybe they know me, then maybe not. If somebody calls me Ross, then they probably know me better. But if somebody calls me Roscoe or Roscoe Tanner or Roscoe P. Coltrane, who actually died this last week, 
or Martini and Rossi, I know that they knew me a really long time ago, and I'm really glad I don't hear that anymore. Right? But those who know me best call me Papa Daddy, or Pops, or my Poppy, or a host of other names, usually about my tummy. Or the one who calls me, who knows me best, well, I'm not going to tell you exactly what she tells me. It would probably be something like the most handsome hunk ever, because right? that's what I really wanted to do. But not probably quite like that, right? But her name list for me is probably way too long for us to go through today. Because she knows me so well and in so many different ways. The name we call God reveals our level of intimacy with him. How well do you know him? What do you call God? Do you call him the, the, big, the big man in the sky? Do you come at Christmas and call him the eight-pound, three-ounce, little, cute little baby Jesus, the Christmas baby? Or do you call him the big, scary, horse-riding, flame, sword-flaming-holding, tattooed guy who is the king of kings and the lord of lords in, in Revelation. By the way, he, it does say he has a tattoo on his leg. The tattoos are in the Bible. Um, or do you call him Doc because he healed you? Do you call him the Rock because he was the only stable thing in your life during huge turmoil? and huge upset? Or do you call on the Prince of Peace because he comforted you in tremendous grief and loss? Or, or do you call on the great provider because he's come through miraculously time and again in your finances and providing for you in just amazing ways? Or do you call him Father because you never really had an earthly father who loved you really well, or maybe he wasn't there at all, and so he's become your Papa Daddy? Or do you call him King of Kings? Because you were in a situation one time where all your bosses and everybody in authority over you, you said this could never happen and God came through and answered prayer in spite of all that. Or do you call him faithful because he has consistently come through on promises? Even when you had given up and you had thought he had forgotten about you, he still came through on those promises for you. Or do you? For many of us, we call him Savior because he's forgiven us. And we're so grateful for that. You see, just as my kids and Wendy have many different names for me because they know so many different aspects of me and have learned to know me through so many experiences over the years, God wants us to know him and continually grow in experiencing him and all aspects of him more intimately over the course of time. Maybe, maybe you see God as provider but you're disconnected from him as a healer. And that's hard for you. Maybe you see him as Prince of Peace, but you, but you, you can't connect with him as your father, as your dad. What is it? You know, Most of all, God wants for us to know him as his friend. Some of his last words to his disciples uh, before he went to the cross are found in John 15, and he says this, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything. Not, not just part of me, not just some things, but everything that I have learned from my Father I have made known, made known to you. God wants us to know him intimately, and we can. If we will continually learn to live this faith journey, avoiding those things that cause us to hold him at at a distance and to make him just an idea and continually learn to connect with him and treat him as someone close to you.
as we as we turn to pray, go ahead and come on up, worship team. I want you to just begin to to shift your heart and ask the Holy Spirit to just speak to you if he hasn't already, but to continue to speak to you even if he has about where you're at. Because some of you, some of you here are facing the reality that you're not intimately relating to God. You believe in God, but you don't know him. And that's not a condemning thing. That's not something God wants to condemn you over, but he is inviting you, calling you out of a cultural Christianity to a real relationship, and he wants you to seek him in that way and discover him in that way. And some of you know about God, but you don't know him really well. And again, God's not condemning you in that. He's inviting you because he's saying, come, I want you to know me more. I want you to know me more. I want to show you more of who I am. And for others, for some of you, he's saying, you know, it's a good start. You've made a great start, but I have so much more. Don't settle for what you know. Don't, don't be worried about being too radical for me. There is so much more I want you to know about who I am and to experience intimately with me. And others of you, you're, you've got this tinge of, uh, of a sense right now of God putting his finger on an area of your life and, uh, and God saying to you, you've allowed, you've allowed yourself to live in the past and, and, and to keep that area of yourself distant from me now in the present. And, and I want to be there with you now. I want to be in this place with you now. I just don't want to be your God of the past who greatly transformed you, but I want to be there now in that area of your life to make a difference. I want, I want to be your healer now. I want to be your provider now. I want to be the one you can trust with your money and with your, with your job. Where is God speaking to you about where you have held him at a distance or begun to disconnect? I want you to spend some time now as we continue to pray and worship identifying that. And if God's already placed something on your heart and your mind, then just start asking him questions about it. Say, God, what is it about this area that's causing me to disconnect? What is it about this area that makes me hold you at a distance? And let him him talk more with you about that and write down your thoughts. And And then here's the last action step I want for you this week. I want you to have a conversation with somebody about that area. Maybe it's going to be your spouse. Maybe it's going to be a friend. But but take it one step further, not just internal thoughts, but I want you to have a conversation with somebody. So let's just pause now and invite the Holy Spirit to come and continue to speak. Lord, we ask that you would come right now. As you've been here this whole time, as you are with us now, Lord, I ask that you would guide our thoughts and continue to guide our worship, that we would be able to feel those areas we've held back from you, that we would be able to understand them. And Lord, that you would draw us into the great beauty of who you are to us and a dynamically beautiful relationship where we don't just have a form of godliness, but we have your power and your presence and we get the joy of experiencing life with you. As we continue to worship and think about this, I also want to invite you for communion today. It's a beautiful reminder again for us of what he's done for us, that he lived like us. He came in the flesh so he could be close to us, that we could know him, that he could be tangible to us. And he gave his life for us so that we could have that kind of intimate relationship with him as well on an ongoing basis. So as we worship, come come for communion when you're ready. 
Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest's podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thank you.